Yeah, obviously this is is the NFL. You, you give up 50 points. It's embarrassing. I've, I don't think I've had this feeling after a game since 2017 against Dallas. Uh, a helpless feeling where you're just watching and you're trying to you're trying to figure something out. That was a shell shocked Robert Sala after one of the worst losses in Jets history. We're here to talk about it and what it means going forward. Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. This is Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. 54 to 13. 54 to 13. The Jets gave up 54 points to the Patriots. It takes them a month to score 54 points. We're going to dive into that. But first, I want to mention our guest in the second segment is former Jets safety Eric Coleman, a really insightful analyst who I'm sure will have something to say about that. The big news this week is Zach Wilson and his knee injury. And here's what we know. It's a sprained posterior cruciate ligament, a PCL. My understanding is that it's a second-degree sprain. The Jets miss. expect him to miss two to four weeks. Look, he will miss two games, Sunday against Cincinnati, and then the quick turnaround for Thursday night in Indianapolis. Then there's the mini-buy, and yes, there's a chance Wilson will be able to play November 14th against Buffalo. We'll know the answer to that question soon, perhaps by the end of the week, because if they don't put him on IR by Saturday, it means they expect him to be back for that Buffalo game. IR, of course, meaning you have to sit out at least three games. Now, I talked to an expert. I went to my guy, Long Island orthopedist Eric Freeman. Now, he didn't examine Wilson. I always have to mention that qualifier, but he's seen this injury plenty of times before. In fact, Eric reminded me that Mark Sanchez had the same injury in 2009, his rookie year, a sprained PCL. You may recall that Sanchez was injured in a Thursday night game, missed the following week, and then came back only 17 days between injury and return. Eric tells me that the PCL is the thickest of the knee ligaments. It's basically the size of a thumb. You know, so a full tear of the PCL is almost unheard of. So if you're going to hurt a ligament, that's the one you want to hurt. For a normal person like me or, or Dr. Freeman, the rehab is for a grade two is about four to six weeks. For an NFL athlete, a conditioned athlete, the doctor says three weeks and he'll be back with a brace. And he suspects that Wilson's mobility is going to be limited somewhat, especially when he moves to the left with the brace on his right knee. So the Jets are turning to Mike White. Now, they did pick up Joe Flacco in a trade on Monday, but let me be clear about this. Flacco is coming in to be a backup. White will start Sunday against Cincinnati. Now, they haven't officially announced that post-trade, but I'm telling you that's what's going to happen. I really hope, I really hope this isn't Luke Falk 2.0 because that was painful to watch in 2019. Painful for Falk, who took a beating in those games. Now, the Jets and backup quarterbacks are not a good mix. The last time a Jet backup started and won a game, are you ready for this, was Bryce Petty December 2016 at San Francisco. Since then, the Jets are 0-14 when having to start a backup. That slump includes Petty, Josh McCown, Trevor Simeon, Falk, and Joe Flacco. While White hasn't started a game since 2017 when he played for Western Kentucky and he lost to Georgia State in the final game that year. Drafted by the Cowboys in the fifth round, and he winds up on the Jets practice squad for a couple of years. Sunday was his first game action. 
Actually, all things considered, he did okay. I know the Jets were were pretty satisfied the way he functioned in the offense. Now he did throw a couple of picks, uh, but you know. But let's be real here: the Patriots had the game in control, and they weren't blitzing. They weren't doing a lot of crazy stuff. So it'll be a different story this week against Cincinnati. They'll have an entire week to game plan for Mike White. Now the Flacco trade it cost the Jets a conditional six. Seems to me like a little too little too late. You know, too little, too late on this trade. But let me share the organization's viewpoint. I think the Jets think he'll be a great resource in the quarterback room for White and Wilson. You know, my question is, why do they have Josh Johnson, you know, on the practice squad? I thought that was his role. As for the draft picks, the Jets still have nine picks left in the 2022 draft, all in the first five rounds. I think Douglas views the Flacco deal much the same way he viewed the Shaq Lawson trade at the end of the summer. They gave up a six-rounder to address a short-term need. Now, Flacco, look, the guy still has a hose, but he can't move anymore. If you haven't noticed, this system requires the quarterback to move. He actually has some background in this system, having played for a Shanahan disciple, Rich Scangarello, with the... uh, Broncos in 2019. So that gives him a little bit of a head start on the playbook. So we'll see. Like I said, he's coming in as a backup. It's an insurance policy uh, until if unless something happens to White or, you know, until uh, even when uh, when Wilson gets back, he could be an insurance policy. So let's talk about the state of the solid jet program. I know jet fans are angry. I get the outrage after Sunday because they stunk. They stunk and it was unacceptable especially with two weeks to prepare. But I think there was a perfect storm at play here. Uh, Basically, the Jets were playing three rookie quarterbacks, Wilson, then White, and then Jamie and Sherwood at middle linebacker. He was in for the injured C.J. Mosley. Now, Sherwood, a college safety, was absolutely exposed. He had so much on his plate. He was the signal caller, relaying the calls from the bench to the huddle. He had so many responsibilities, and it just... It wasn't good. Josh McDaniels went after him on the first series, and it was no contest. Um, so the Jets really had a hard time getting lined up properly in this game. It was chaos. So is that Salah's fault? Look, he had to play with his third-string middle linebacker because Mosley and Jared Davis were out. Uh, I'm not letting Salah off the hook easily here. Clearly, the team has regressed over the last two games. The defense, which is Salah's baby, is getting shredded. Shredded. They've been outscored in these games. You know, they've just been outcoasting these last two games. The offense, you know, I've tried to defend Mike LaFleur, but his unit continues to make the same mistakes over and over. Third player of the game, a basic slot blitz, and they turn him loose for a sack. Some of you might be wondering about the play that Wilson got hurt on. On that play, they used the tight end, Ryan Griffin, to block New England's best pass rusher, Matthew Judon. It sounds crazy there, I know, but LaFleur explained it this way. It was first down, they had play action, and the Patriots aren't hard rushers on first down. He admitted it was a tough assignment for Griffin, but Wilson has to know that. There has to be a clock in the quarterback's head, and he knows he can't hold the ball too long because he's got a tight end blocking a really good pass rusher. That's an example of quarterback inexperience coming into play. For the most part, though, the lack of on-field communication is alarming, and that goes to coaching. They've been outscored in the first quarter 44 to nothing. I mean, come on. That's junior varsity-type stuff. A big part of coaching is problem-solving, and right now, Osala and Lafleur aren't solving these problems. Still, let's take a deep breath. Tell yourself 
It's only six games. It's only six games. There's a long way to go. Salah should be evaluated on this season by what happens over the second half. When Wilson gets back, some of these players get experience. That's when you want to see the progress. If this, meaning this crap, continues to happen, well, then it's time to sound the alarm. For now, just chill. I know it's hard, but just chill and maybe watch some Western Kentucky tape. I'd like to introduce Eric Coleman. He was a fifth-round draft pick of the Jets in 2004, started for four years under Herm Edwards. He actually started two playoff games in 2004 and then uh, went on to finish his career with Atlanta and Detroit for several years. He is a uh, on a, the Jets pre- and post-game show, and, of course, he's a late-night host on the Jets games on CBS2. He's a really, really good guy. We've known each other a long time. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, Richard, I, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to sit here and chat with you, man. It's, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, man, I remember when you were drafted. I, I'm dating myself, you know, coming in in 2004. That was a really good draft for the Jets. And you go into the playoffs right away. And like as a rookie, you're like playing in meaningful games. Um, but right now the Jets are not playing in meaningful games. I want to start off right there. What was your takeaway on Sunday's, you know, awful game in New England? Uh, you know, it was it was very disappointing, you know, to to watch, you know, coming off a bye, you know, you would think that, you know, everything would be clicking on all cylinders, you know. Um, obviously, the bye is a time for you to do some self-scouting, uh, to do some evaluation and correct the mistakes that you've made in the previous games. And, uh, you know, you just didn't see it, you know, and it was it was frustrating. But, you know, I, I, again, this is the youngest team in the NFL. Uh, they're, they're, they have a lot to learn about themselves, about this game. And uh, and hopefully the growth continues to to progress. Uh, obviously, it was a step back last week. Uh, but Bill Belichick, there's a reason why he's well. I think he's 13 and 0 at home versus rookie quarterbacks. There's a reason for that. Uh, the, the guy is a, does a great job of uh, creating game plans, schemes uh, to attack your weaknesses, and uh, and they did a great job of exposing those on Sunday. So, are you willing to? You think it was just a bad day at the office for the Jets, or do you think there was something there that may be symptomatic of something larger? You know, I, I think it was a combination of, of a couple of things. I think it was a bad day at the office, you know, for most guys. Uh, I think that the injuries are, are taking its toll. You know, it's a very young team as it is. And then when you have guys, you know, like C.J. Mosley out of the lineup, who's like the leader of the defense, um, you know, the, those those key injuries, they they – creep up on you. You know, the, those are the emotional, the emotional leaders of your team. Those guys get everyone fired up. And, you know, I know like a guy like CJ, he's like the big brother on that defense where he sets the tone. He's, you know, if he's talking trash, he's running around smacking guys, then you know what, uh, if I'm a, if I'm a young guy then I can do that too. And it's kind of contagious and not having them, not having that consistency at linebacker, I think really hurt them defensively. And then, you know, they're the new England just did a great job of throwing in some scheme plays. There's a couple of trick plays at the beginning of the game. Um, I, I thought they attacked the weaknesses of the Jets defense uh, pretty early and often. And, um, you know, and it was just a rough day for the young guys. In your career, high school, college pro, you ever suffer a defeat that lopsided? Oh, you know what? I, I can't say I, I, I remember when I was a freshman in college, we um, we lost 51 to three to Marcus Tuiasasopo in the uh, in the Huskies in the Apple Cup. I wasn't playing. But I was I had broken my finger and I had a cast, I had surgery, so I wasn't playing in the game. But I just remember, you know, the the, the morale was very low. Uh, it was hard to to get the guys motivated. And 
um, it was one of those things where you just wanted to burn the film and move on to the next game. So you've been there before, you know, you know what the Jets are going through this week. So if you could put yourself in their in their minds coming off a loss that bad. I mean, do you think there's anger there or do you think they're or do you think they're just deflated? You know, what do you think is going on in the minds of some of these players as they're trying to get ready for a game? Well, you know, it's um, it's it's tough because they're so young. Right. And when you when you have a loss like that, it's, it's hard. It's easy to get down on yourselves and to to lose faith and to forget about all the great things that you've done moving up to this point. And so I think it's uh, important for the coaches uh, to, to probably just forget about that film, to, to come out with a different mindset, to come out, be very positive, uh, you know, obviously be stern as well, because there's some things that have to change about how you're playing. But at the same time, try to figure out a positive way to keep the guys motivated, to keep the guys um, believing in themselves and believing in the, the, uh, the coaching, the scheme, uh, the ways of the team. Let's talk about something that's in your wheelhouse, and that's defensive back play. The Jets are obviously playing a lot of young DBs, you know, Eccles, Carter, Javelin Gidry gets in there a lot. Um, and what are your thoughts after six games of watching some of these guys, uh, you know, for the first time, basically just being thrown out there, you know, no experience? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been impressed, you know, up, up until this game, you know, I've been very impressed by, by the defensive backs. I, I think that they're, um, they've been competing. Uh, they haven't, you know, for the most part, haven't given up a lot of big plays. Um, and, 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 and they're not just not giving up big plays. They're also being competitive on, on other routes. You know what I mean? Uh, when, when you watch all the young guys, well, obviously, you know, Marcus May is doing a great job uh, when he's healthy. Uh, but, you know, the, the main guy that I was, um, I was impressed by, I like Bryce Hall. You know, I think that he's done a great job uh, in coverage. He's big, he's strong, he's tackling well. I think Eccles is doing a good job. Uh, Michael Carter is is definitely done a great job in that slot. And that's a tough position to play, especially as a young guy, because there's so much to see. There's so much to know. You fit in the run fits. You're in the, the passing scheme, especially in these zones. And you have so much field to work with. So it's impressive for a young guy to be able to come in and play nickel and, uh, and, and just the communication they've had across the board up into these games. There haven't been too many big plays. Was it hard for you? Cause you played as a rookie. Was it hard for you? I mean, Herm Edwards, you know, we know he was a Tampa two, uh, you know, proponent, you know, I'm sure you guys, you probably played a lot of too deep that year. How tough was it to come out of college and play right away in, in that scheme? You know what it was? Um, there was a lot to learn uh, because there was a lot of verbiage in it. You know, we, we played a lot of, um, they call it two buster. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like the Steelers defense where you would play almost on the front side, you would play, um, traditional zone on the backside. It was a lot of two man. Uh, we played, you know, some cover four combinations where it would be cover four on one side, two on the other. And there was just a lot of verbiage, a lot of communication that I had to do as a rookie. And I remember, uh, I, I remember Donnie Henderson, you know, yelling at me a, in a meeting and he was like, Coleman, I don't care if, if you say the wrong check, make, make sure you're loud and confident because as long as we're, we're all wrong, we'll be all right. You know, as long as we're on the same page, the communication has to be key. And that was something that I got early was that communication. Uh, it was hard for me at first, you know, to to go tell Sam Coward, who's just a grown man, and right. Barton and all these guys. I had to yell at them and kind of get them into different checks and um, and sometimes argue with them. And I had to be confident in myself and confident in my preparation and, and understanding of the game. And it was it was a big challenge. It was a, it was a big challenge. But at the end of the day once I got it, once I got through that training camp and, and got prepared, it was just playing ball. 
And, you know, I look back on it right now and I think I was probably better off as a rookie just playing ball than I was later on in my career thinking I knew everything. Because once you start thinking you know everything, that's when you start yeah. you know, leaving yourself susceptible to plays. That was a good defense, that 0-4 Jet defense. Uh, I think Jonathan Vilma was a rookie, and, um, you know, the, I think you guys were highly ranked. All of a sudden, you're in the playoffs. Uh, what was that like? So you're a rookie, you're, the game in San Diego, which was a crazy game that you guys pulled out. And then, of course, you know, a, a really a dark memory for Jet fans is that Pittsburgh game where, you know, you guys <laughs> – when you think back – I'm sorry, did I just touch a nerve right there? That yeah. Pittsburgh <laughs> You know, it was, it was crazy because, you know, we had we had played San Diego earlier in the year. I, I believe we beat them at the second game of the season. Um, and then we had that tough game in the wild card game. And it was just it was overwhelming for me because, you know, you go from preseason to the regular season and it was like two different games. The speed of the game picked up so hard so much. And then once you got into the playoffs, it was like, man, it was everybody was scrapping, you know, for every inch. And it was just a, a battle. And I just remember the intensity being so high. Uh, going into Pittsburgh, we had played them earlier in the year. So we had a good familiarity with them and we, we were very prepared for that game. And I remember it was a tough fought battle. Yeah. I mean, you had a fumble recovery in that Pittsburgh game and, and Doug Bryan misses the two kicks, which is, was just heartbreak, a heartbreaking way to, uh, to end it. Cause you guys were a really good team. Um, man, do you, do you, do you have nightmares of like Doug Bryan nightmares, you know, now, <laughs> like 20, yeah. 20 years later? Yeah, you know, that one is tough to swallow because we had the opportunity at the end of regulation. And then um, and, I, and then I, I remember like the older guys being on the sideline like, yeah, man, we're going to you know, we're going to get some more money in our pocket. And I didn't know anything about playoff money. I didn't know anything about what we were doing. I was just playing. And I just remember being excited about making it to the next round, getting an opportunity to, to make it to the Super Bowl. And then, you know, we missed the kick. And, and listen, that wasn't the only play that that lost the game for us. I'm sure there were many other plays during that game, but I just remember the disappointment because, you know, Doug had been money all year and uh and just to get in those the 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 weather was terrible, the the wind was was up there. So it was a tough kick and at the time it's hard to understand, but when you look back at it, you know, it was a, it was a very difficult position, you know, for us to be in and you know, I think we fought hard and I'm proud of that team and you know, that was probably the favorite team I ever played on my rookie year. I'm still friends with a lot of those guys. Uh, created some great relationships. But, you know, thinking back on it, understanding how hard it is to win in the playoffs is definitely a tough pill to swallow. So you go from playing with, under Herm Edwards to Eric Mangini, and I can't think of two more different personalities than, <laughs> than, than, than Herm and, and Eric. What was that transition like? Oh, man, it was um, – that was – that was a, a – it was more drastic of a change than me coming from – Pullman, Washington, with 30, the population of 35,000 to New York. It was just <laughs> like, it, it was so different from playing for Herm. You know, Herm was one of those guys that was, you know, he's a player's coach, but, you know, he pushed us hard and, you know, you know, really went out of his way to, you know, have conversations with you. To Eric Mangini, who was, who was very dark, um, who was very, um, he, it was almost like he was secretive. Like he didn't really say much about what he was doing. And, you know, it was, it was a tough time, especially for me. You know, uh, you know, I think my first training camp, you know, coming in as a two-year starter, um, in training camp, I got uh, my, my appendix ruptured on the second day of camp. Uh, I missed a bunch of practice, and they didn't know what it was for about a week. Mm-hmm. And then they finally figure out that my appendix had ruptured. I had to have an emergency appendectomy. And I remember when I came back from it, I think my agent had told the media, you know, oh, mm-hmm. Eric just had appendicitis. He'll be back. 
And I remember coming back, losing like 15 pounds and being in my first meeting, like bent over, you know, skinny, like feeling terrible. And Eric Mangini just just cursed me out in front of the whole team for, wow. because my agent told the media that I had appendicitis and we don't discuss injuries here. And so it really got off to a bad start with him, with, with, with me. And, uh, you know, that, those are some tough years for me playing for Mangini. But, you know, listen, I, when I always talk about Mangini, probably the smartest X and O's coach I've ever played for, but just the, the personality thing, you know, with the players didn't really click. Yeah, I remember that, Eric. Uh, in training camp when, when you were out, the Jets were listing you, I think it was like illness or something like that. It was something like so vague. Yeah. And man, Jeannie wouldn't tell us what it was. And then you're right. Your agent told me and I put out the story that, hey, th- this guy's got a, you know, a serious appendix issue here. You know? <laughs> right. And even when it was out and I asked Mangini, he wouldn't acknowledge it. You know, he wouldn't acknowledge that it was an appendicitis, <laughs> even though, like you said, I mean, you were deathly ill and yeah and lost so I, much weight. i had like i had during practice the first couple of days they had me exercising at practice and then i was just in like the cafeteria getting an iv all day i would just be in there just in pain and one day I, I remember walking to the locker room i had to use the restroom and i fainted twice and wow. then they finally they were like man let's get him to the hospital and do some more tests and then they figured it out and it was like man i had to go a whole week without knowing they told me it was a food poisoning, a stomach illness. And I didn't know what it was. Oh my God. Yeah. That, that had to be a nightmare. I mean, you know what? I always thought like when the jets drafted Kerry Rhodes in 05, I always thought that you and Kerry would be like the safety tandem for, for such a long time. Cause it seemed like you complimented each other's skill set, And then, you know, Kerry had some good moments and then his career started, you know, he, he basically, fizzled out a little bit under Rex Ryan. I want to ask you last week, I don't know if you saw it, Kerry Rhodes tweeted, I don't know who he was tweeting it to, but he said, I was the best safety the Jets had, have had in the last 18 years. And I don't know, that came out of the blue. And, you know, <laughs> like, I, I don't know, what did, what did you think of that? And, you know, it's weird how he disappeared from the NFL map. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, it, it doesn't surprise me. That's Kerry. You know, Kerry is a... Um, I'm still I'm still friends with Kerry. I you know I had a great time playing with Kerry, but um, you know he's definitely a, a confident young man. You know yeah. he definitely um, you know is very high on his skill set. I don't know where that came from, but you know there's been a lot of great safeties that played you know for the Jets. You know from Victor Green to Marcus Coleman to you know there, there's just been a, so many good players that, to play in this uh, organization. And, you know, me personally, I'm not I'm not one to to put myself at the top or list myself anywhere. I just came to work to to work hard and and just give my best. So, um, you know, whatever someone's opinion of it is, uh, I'll, I'll let that be. But um, definitely it wasn't surprising to hear that from Kerry. <laughs> and Jamal Adams, too. I mean, a, gr- a really oh, yeah. good safety for the Jets. And I. He, he seems to be struggling a little bit now in Seattle in terms of pass coverage, and he still doesn't have an interception. They lost again on Monday night. They're two and five. What was your – when he was here, what did you think of Jamal as a player when he was here? Because uh, you guys played kind of the same position. And what – are you surprised that he struggled a little bit in Seattle? Yeah, you know, um, when, when Jamal was here, he was probably – he was probably one of my favorite safeties to watch. You know, because from the jump, I – I could see that he was looking at the right things. He had good eyes. He was reading his keys. He's always in position. He played with like a controlled, reckless abandon. You know, he was always in the right spot. He, you know, he just one of those guys that just never broke down, always was exploding through the ball carrier. 
And um, and I really appreciated how he his passion towards the game. And it was uh, definitely disappointing to see how it ended. You know, I understand he's frustrated and, you know, wanted, you know, more money. And, you know, that's the business of the game. I don't try to get in anyone's business, but, you know, I, I definitely wish he could have been here for the long haul. Um, you know, and then to see him in Seattle, you know, that that's a good defense over there. You know, they have very good defensive linemen. Bobby Wagner probably, you know, arguably the best middle linebacker in the game. And, you know, for Jamal not to have the success there, you know, I know he's had some injuries. It's, it's, it's disappointing, you know, to to see him not continue to ascend at the at the the rate that he was going when he played for the Jets. Um, he is, you know, still a very good player. He's a, uh, you know, very good blitzer. He's tackling well. You know, just the big plays haven't come his way. So I, I think in time they will come his way, and you know he'll he'll get back to that Pro Bowl level. But you know, definitely one of those players that I was impressed by when he was a Jet. Of course, the Jets and their fans are not too disappointed that Seattle's struggling because they have Seattle's first round pick, you know, <laughs> next year. And right now, I think I think it's the eighth pick in the draft. So right now, I think the Jets would have the fourth and the eighth round, the eighth picks in the draft next year, which would be, you know, a, a wonderful opportunity to get better. So so in closing, Eric, I want so Jet fans are really depressed right now. They're angry. They just got their butts kicked by the coach they hate the most. What could you tell Jet fans to give them some glimmers of hope, you know, uh, you know, maybe not this week or next week, but just some sort of long term big picture hope that maybe this thing will get turned around? Well, you know, th- listen, this is the youngest team in the NFL, you know, first year coaches, coordinators, um, quarterback. You know, this is a very young team and there's a lot of fight. There's a lot of potential in this organization. You know, I, I think that, you know, there, there are a few pieces away. You know, there, there's a very fine line between you know, a, a terrible team and a, and a very good team in the NFL. And it's just those pieces and it's executing and it's putting it together. And I, I think that if they continue to stay together as a team, continue to work hard, you're going to see this team ascend and, and become something that's very powerful. Uh, you know, not a lot of teams in their first year uh, of the head coach and, you know, quarterback are, are just going to come out here and just blaze things. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, you see a Justin Herbert, you know, coming out his first year and you expect that out of all rookies. And that's not, he's kind of an, he's, he's an outlier, you know, that's not realistic. So I, I think Zach Wilson is a great quarterback. I think you have a good core in the offensive line uh, when healthy and defensively, you know, when, when guy, we get a couple of pieces over on defense with this defensive line, uh, the linebackers could stay healthy. Uh, you know, they can play with anyone. So there's a lot to look forward to, you know, don't get discouraged on this season. It's just a work in progress and, and they'll continue to grow. Have you seen enough of Salah to make you believe he's the right guy? Yeah, you know, I, I do. I, I really like it. I really like coach Salah. I think that he's a, a great person to lead this team. Uh, the, the, I mean, if you watch the tape, I mean, these guys are flying around and I know everyone has heard that before. There's, there's attitude, effort, uh, you know, but but that's a big part of it. You know, once the, the the plays start coming your way, the interceptions, the turnovers, the touchdowns, once they start coming your way and you have this nasty mentality, it's going to be trouble. It's going to be trouble. Not, not a lot of teams are going to want to play this Jets team once they get the pieces together and once they're all healthy. Um, I do think he's a great leader. Uh, he's a, you know, everyone respects him. They want to play for him. The coaches love coaching for him. And, and I think that he is the right man. It's just going to take some time to get the right guys in the locker room, uh, to continue to get those those playmakers and get the best out of the, the veterans. They could use an Eric Coleman right now on defense, I think. You know, <laughs> put an enforcer back there on the back end with Marcus May, and then and then you're talking. 
Oh man, that would be fun. It would be fun. You know, I, I do I do appreciate Marcus's game, the way he plays it. And it would be it would be a lot of fun to have a safety like that behind behind you to, to just to let it loose and just go ahead and, yeah. and, and make some plays. Well, Eric, thank you so much. This was great. Thanks for taking a little time to reminisce and talk about the current Jets as well. You're the best. Always appreciate it. And hopefully we'll see each other soon. All right. I look forward to it, Rich. Thanks for having me. And it's Twitter time. And wow, we got an outpouring of questions. I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm just going to get right into it. I don't want to waste any time. Let's go rapid fire. One of my favorite guys at sports underscore FI3ND says, how have you ever seen a more disappointing effort in a game from the Jets coming after a bye week than the garbage we witnessed over the weekend? Actually, kind of. That was the Jets' sixth straight loss after a bye. They've now lost nine out of 10 after bye weeks, which is almost inconceivable. 2019, they lose 31 to six to Philly. 2014, they lose 38 to three to Buffalo. I don't know what the Jets were working on the last couple of weeks. Maybe they were designing their Halloween costumes or something, but it certainly did not seem like football. At PJ Lop 94, uh, he refers to Belichick running up the score. He goes, what's the feeling on the team? Was there any emotion, any anger? I saw nothing from the players to indicate they were enraged as the fans were. And you're right. Sheldon Rankins came close after the game. He started to say he was upset, but then he stopped himself. But you're right, Peter. No one really complained because you know why? It comes off as sour grapes. You know, when a professional football compl- player complains about something like that, you know, they get perceived as a whiner. They always say it's our job to stop them. But I can tell you absolutely they were seething. It was an unsportsmanlike thing for Belichick to do. But, you know, he hates the Jets more than anything in the world. And he was not going to pass up that opportunity. I thought, in fact, I was a little surprised uh, Robert Sala's comments on the Michael K show did not get more traction. He basically took a shot at Belichick. He, came, he basically said in, in a gentlemanly like way, said, that's not something I would do. So for Sala to say that, you know, he was burned a little bit by that. Next one from at Dutch 1968. How much of the defensive collapse was due to Mosley's injury and execution versus poor scheme? Do you think we should get uh, expect Sala to get back involved in some defensive stuff? Losing Mosley was like having the head of the snake cut off. He's the organizer. He gets everybody lined up. I mean, they had guys running in crazy directions. On the first series, you remember that 28-yard screen pass? Brandon Eccles, their rookie corner, vacated his zone and was chasing ghosts downfield, leaving the whole side of the field open, which is where the screen pass goes. So I don't know what he was doing. I mean, I hate to put all that on Jamie and Sherwood, but he was a rookie. He was completely wide-eyed in this game, and the guy, the Jets just had a really problem getting organized. McDaniels is a smart offensive coach. He goes after Sherwood on the first play, a 12-yard run. So, yes, Mosley's absence was a factor. And, no, I don't think Salah will start calling defensive plays. He will leave that still up to Jeff Albrick. Uh, at easy underscore racer, uh, Rich, for, all, for as much as the offensive struggle, I'd love to get your take on uh, the struggles of the alternatives at quarterback from last offseason, and he mentions Trey Lance, Sam Darnold, and Justin Field, all struggling, just like Josh, uh, just like uh, Zach Wilson, you know, for various reasons, you know, Trey Lance with the injuries, Darnold gets benched, you know, in the game last week, he's struggling, Fields is struggling, it's, hey, it's, it's what happens with rookie quarterbacks. Now, Darnold should be better than that, 
You guys know I was on Darnold. I thought the Jets should have kept him. Obviously, that is not looking too great for Carolina right now. So it's just a symptom of young quarterbacks in the NFL all struggling. Nine zero nine zero four. What's the insistence of running straight up the middle in short yardage situations? He says Gase did it. LaFleur seems to love it. Uh, why not try a quarterback sneak? You know, I looked this up and you make a great point. So check this out. On third and one and fourth and one rushes, the Jets are the worst in the league. They average 0.29 yards per attempt. Mind you, the league average is 2.8. Most of their rushes, rushes are, yes, they are up the middle, but that's actually where they have the most success, if you could call it that. Their average rush up the middle is 1.3 yards. They're in negative numbers when they rush elsewhere. Gase was not a believer in quarterback sneaks. He told me so to my face. He ran a couple late in the year, and I honestly think it was to shut me up. I really do believe that because I wrote about it. Uh, I'll have to ask LaFleur the next time you know, we get him, but you're right. Uh, the Jets are miserable in short yardage situations. Next one from at Gavin Comedy. Uh, it seems to be a major part of the problem offensively is Mike LaFleur. Are they considering bringing in a senior consultant to help LaFleur? Rob, his name is Matt Cavanaugh. He's been on the staff since preseason. He is, quote unquote, the senior offensive consultant. So say what you want. They did, uh, they did bring him in to replace the late Greg Knapp. Obviously, it hasn't helped a lot. And we have one from at David Doyle NY. Is it taxing professionally to cover the Jets who stink perf- uh, perpetually? I would think it's more fun to reporting on a winner. Not that the Jets are lacking on storylines. You're right, David. The Jets are not lacking on storylines. But here's what I tell people. And in fact, I teach a class at Syracuse University. I tell the students all the time, you know, for news value, you either want to cover a really good team or a really bad team. It's much harder to cover a 500 team. And it, you're right. You want to cover a winning team. It is more fun. You're talking to people who are in better mu- moods. So there's a natural human emotion there that you want to be surrounded by people who are in good moods and you're writing positive stories. I absolutely want to do that because you know what? It's better for business as well. More people read the stories and tune into the podcasts when the Jets are winning. So it is harder when they're losing, but you know it's part of the job and you just, you just do what the job entails. And next from at Canning RJ, uh, what do you who do you expect to see traded at the deadline? Do you see any ex- positions added? Uh, well, I'm pretty sure the Jets are not going to be buyers. I think they'll be sellers. Quite obviously, they're out of contention. I think you saw it with the Flacco trade. Uh, I don't think they're going to give up any more draft picks for players. I'd be surprised if that happens. Although I absolutely need a tight end, and there are tight ends available. I think Crowder could be going. You know, his salary is about two and a half to three million. I think that's doable for someone who's looking for a slot receiver. Marcus May, I think, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he's traded, but he's got, I think it's about six and a half million left on his salary. That's a big nut for a team to take. Teams across the league are really tight in cap space because of the pandemic. So that's why I don't think there'll be a lot of major trades around the league. You know, Deshaun Watson could be the exception, of course. But I I would not be shocked if the Jets trade either one of those guys, but I would be surprised if they acquire someone. (laughs) 
Okay, let's talk about Sunday. Jets face the Bengals at home, Halloween Day. I remember the first Jets-Bengals game I covered. It was the 1990 opener. Bruce Coslett, Jets coach, in his head coaching debut, faces his former team. The Jets had a tight end on the roster named Doug Wellsant. I think he was about a third-string tight end. He actually played under Coslett with the Bengals, and Coslett brought him to the Jets. And Coslett, who always thought that he invented football, they had planned to use Wellsant on a tight end reverse in the game, a gadget play. Coslett loved gadget plays because he thought he was smarter than everyone else. So in the pregame warm-up, Wellsant starts chatting with his former teammates on the field, and he tells them that he's going to be involved in a trick play. So the Jets put him in at the goal line of all places, and they run the tight end reverse. Cincinnati knows it's coming. They blow up the play. He loses yards. It's a disaster. The Jets lose 25 to 20. And so the next day, Boomer Esiason, the Bengals quarterback at the time, tells Newsday about the whole Wellsand thing and how they knew the play was coming. And so he forever became known as Loose Lips Wellsand. In retrospect, that was a bad harbinger for the Bruce Coslett era. Okay, different story now. The Bengals, they're coming into town at 5-2. and two. They just stomped the Baltimore Ravens 41-17. to 17. Wow, Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase. That is an electric combination right now for the Bengals. Chase has six touchdown catches, which is more than all of the Jet receivers combined. Burrow, man, he is so talented. People talk about Justin Herbert, about being like the future of the league and then and the next great quarterback. I think Burrow is that guy. I really do. He is the complete package. Cincinnati was 5-2 and two last year when Burrow suffered that devastating knee injury. But right there, he, in, in those seven games, he showed how he was able to elevate everyone around him. If you're a Jets fan, you look at that. You look at what he's doing now, and you hope that Zach Wilson, also a very high draft pick, can do the same when he comes back. A franchise quarterback is the rising tide that can raise all boats. And you see it happening with Cincinnati right now. I think the only way for the Jets to win this game is if Cincinnati takes them lightly and looks ahead to next week. They they face the Browns, obviously a bitter rivalry in the division there. Cincinnati is just a better team. They're the hotter team. They got a hot quarterback, a hot wide receiver, and their defense doesn't get many headlines, but it is pretty good. They're excellent at disguising post-snap, which will create all sorts of problems for Mike White. This is a really, really bad spot for the Jets, so I'm going to pick Cincinnati 35, Jets 13. I want to thank my guest, Eric Coleman, for joining us, our producer, Jeff Scopin, for putting it together. We'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck.